Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, Rocky Top Insiders. Ryan Shepard is here. You're on Go Big Orange Friday. He's got the blue and red. He's all Cubs all the time. Um, they get rid of a bunch of players uh, this week. Um, it looks like another long-term rebuild uh, for his Cubbies. But, you know, trust the Ricketts family. What could go wrong? Um, Ryan Shepard, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Uh, I was doing good before you started talking about the Ricketts family and my frustration was, uh, with the Cubs uh management but yeah besides that besides the, it being a rainy day i'm doing well why do people not like rainy days I, this was joyous i woke up to this this morning with the east tennessee raining for the first time in what seems like two and a half months it's getting chillier again it actually feels like november and into the winter like this is all top-notch stuff you're a pale guy i'm a pale guy what are you doing ryan how do you not like this this is well, great a good rainy day in the summer, or even honestly, most Fridays would be fine because Friday is typically a day I don't have to go anywhere, just hang mm. around the house. That's fine. I like the vibes of the rainy day when I'm inside. But basketball press conference, basketball practice, uh, baseball, fall scrimmage, uh, world fall world series, I guess as they call it. We'll see if that ends up happening today. But I have things I had to be outside for, and mm. that is when uh, the rain the rain gets to me. Well, you're a warrior. You'll fight through it. I'm a fighter. Uh, never. Never a doubt. Um, you, you'll be fine, Ryan. Uh, speaking of, you've just been all over the place. You're just going to Memphis, Tennessee. You're going to the stuff today. Basketball's back. This is actually kind of a terrible time because uh, you just three. Uh, so many different things are now going on at once and they're all uh, coalescing and uh, we're all busy. This is the best and worst sports time. I tell folks I feel guilty because I'm just like like last night the Preds are on. The Hawks were on and the Falcons were on all on the same night. And I'm like, how am I supposed to like divvy up my because I need to give attention to them in different ways. And there's just so much on every single day that I am I struggle to uh, to parse through what I need to parse through. And I, I don't like it. I wish every that's why summer is perfect. Like, oh, it's the Braves. All right. Just have the yeah. Braves on. All right. <laughs> Tennessee baseball. Only thing on right now. Perfect. That's all I got to focus on. And the fall at this point is just like you got to pick your spots it's it's very it's very difficult very arduous yeah november is definitely the busiest month uh, of the year for for us over at rti so a lot of stuff going on and it's raised by the fact that we actually have stuff with the football team to talk about outside of you know they're gonna go to the gator bowl they're gonna go to music city bowl which is typically the, the, the biggest questions in past years but wouldn't have it any other way it's what makes it fun do you think Hinden, Cedric Tillman, and Darnell Wright play in the Sugar Bowl, or if they make the Sugar Bowl? That's a good question. Because uh, when Tennessee not, fans talk about really... it, and I hear this a lot, I've heard this a lot the last couple of weeks, where they're like, hey, Sugar Bowl's still amazing. It's going to be awesome. And I'm like, I'm concerned people think that they're going to play. Like, Hinden's going to go out, and I mean, I, I Tillman, I would be absolutely floored if he played in a non-meeting uh, full bowl game darnell too because of his draft stock where it's tapped right now i don't know like i think it's it might be joe milton time even in the sugar bowl which is still a prestigious one but a, a new year six i'm not convinced it would actually include hendon hooker i mean i, I wouldn't say it's definite i would yeah. feel like he's probably the most likely of those three players to play it's not like yeah. he's sitting there with a, a top 15 draft grade and i think would would certainly be able to approve more stuff and he certainly seems like a guy that would would kind of want to stick it out but no mm -hmm. i hadn't really thought about that much yet it's a it's a fair point yeah it's just something to keep in mind when folks are like oh i can't wait for the new year six but it's still great and i'm like well it might be joe milton to squirrel white uh for <laughs> in the ball game like it might just be a prelude to uh what comes down the pike next year uh to kick things off um Something big happened, though. Bison Lang, uh, as expected, uh, signed with or committed to Tennessee. Uh, the signings were basketball this week. But um, when you look at what Bison will be for Tennessee, do you think he's going to be an offensive tackle? Do you think he's a guard? And how big of a get is uh, Bison out of Alabama, Ryan? I think he's probably a guard. Yeah, I think we've talked about it on here mm. before where you know, I don't know. I'm not pouring over to Bison Lang tape this week. Uh, I can think I can admit that to the to the viewers and, the, mm. and I haven't watched hours of Ice and Lang tape this week but just from the size and just from uh kind of general generally speaking what you read about him it to me it seems like he's more of a guard and I think it's a pretty good gift for Tennessee I mean he he kind of reminds me just from like a, a build standpoint and maybe some of the comparisons in high school uh, of a little bit of a Javante Spragans 
Hmm. Uh, pretty big, pretty nasty uh, offensive lineman. So I think it's a good get. You look at the teams Tennessee beat out, uh, a lot of solid options. Obviously, Auburn, who was at the final table, uh, probably would have been, in most cases, the team you got to overcome. I think uh, he's from just uh, Pike Road, Alabama, just about 45 minutes uh, from Auburn. But Auburn, has, we could kind of tell over the last two, really, almost a year, but especially the two months as Lang's commitments is, or recruitment has really gone on that they're kind of uh, – Tigers were kind of falling apart and certainly weren't going to be a major factor. So I think that helped Tennessee out, and uh, they were able to beat out LSU, Texas, and a handful of other SEC offers to land them. Absolutely. Um, we'll see what happens the rest of this class. Uh, Sylvester Smith, I heard, was a name to keep an eye on. If he is someone uh, Tennessee is able to keep away from Auburn, you mentioned Auburn, and we'll see what happens with – whoever they hire um, uh, this cycle um, and see what that does. Devin Hobbs, I think, when does he officially announce? Isn't it pretty soon? Yes, I think it's in the next week or so. 17th okay. is kind of what's in my mind, but that may not be completely accurate. M- middle of November. Whew, that's a big one. That's a big one for this class. Um, so we'll see. We have the Miami and Florida war going back and forth uh, right now, just trading trading shots uh, with Jaden Rashad and now flipping to uh, the Gators this week and Cormani McLean flipping to Miami last week. It's a, it's a wild time in uh, college football recruiting. Um, but in terms of the football game this Saturday, uh, Ryan, we get Mizzou senior day, last game at home game of the year. Kind of weird how they scheduled this with two away games to, to wrap up here uh, for the balls. But uh, when you look at this matchup, uh, what, entices you the most and how do you what's your hunch and how this game goes based on how Tennessee played last weekend and how they've talked about getting over it and just moving forward and now seeing where they're at in the playoff how do you see this game going I think the question mark is kind of the weather because mm-hmm. I think this rain that we've discussed is at least last I checked earlier this morning is supposed to to carry over into tomorrow afternoon and you know if it weren't for that if the weather wasn't any sort of factor I feel like this is a game Tennessee would, would come out pretty quick offensively. And I think they'll have, I don't know if it's something to prove, but there will at least be a, a lot of energy and a lot of uh, wanting to get back out there, wanting to put the Georgia game behind the offense for how poor things went for them last week. And that's, to me, what makes this game really, I guess, unintriguing as a whole is that Missouri's not going to keep up. They haven't scored more than 23 points in a game all year in SEC play. Their defense has been – it's been a pretty impressive turnaround in their first year – uh, coordinator Blake Baker, but uh, they're going to have to score. It's just what we've talked about a lot uh, this year. You're going to have to score 30 points or at least upper 20s to be competitive with, uh, to be in the fight with Tennessee. And I think Tennessee's offense will have a lot to prove and, and will come out pretty sharp and crisp. Tennessee seems to always play well uh, in these noon game slots. I don't think it'll be a, a sleepy start for Tennessee. And then again, uh, we've talked about Missouri's offense struggles, but to me, it, this is the the exact formula for a team that Tennessee's good against. Uh, a team with a bad offensive line that's going to really have no chance to run against pretty Tennessee's pretty good defensive line, defensive front, and then Tennessee's pass rush is very much predicated on getting in the third and long, where it can br- bring some uh, blitzes and trust its defensive backs. And certainly, I mean, I think that's that's the exact formula you saw against LSU. That's the same formula formula you saw against Kentucky. And I don't think Missouri is going to have enough in the passing game to really overcome that. Um, do you think Tennessee will emphasize winning big if possible? Yes, I think so. But I think it almost gets to a, it gets to a point where is, I, I feel like they'll get to a point where 40, 42 to 14, that's enough. I don't think they're going to be looking for to make it 62 uh, to 14, because I think it, it, at some point, you kind of heard the committee say so as much this week that, uh, granted, the committee could change their opinion on what matters by next week. So maybe that's not a good thing to go off of. But it's competitive games and uncompetitive games. I think Tennessee will, in all three of these, these last final three games of the regular season, will very much be looking up to make a point that they're not competitive games, that they are could choose their number, uh, essentially, whether they'll actually feel the need to go out there and do that. I'm not really sure they will. Um, but it'll be something worth watching. And Style points could end up mattering. I don't think they will matter a ton. I think it's really just more uh, going to be come down to, to where Tennessee can get some help in, in the eyes of the committee. But at the same time, Tennessee doesn't really have anything that they can prove and before you know we'll, we'll figure out the Final Four at uh, the college football playoffs. So maybe they do feel like they need to take it into their own hands and 
go score a lot of points and make games a little uh, more lopsided than they would appear otherwise. What would have to happen for Mizzou to actually win this football game? What would have to happen? They'd have to get a special teams or a defensive touchdown or a couple short fields. Jalen Wright running the ball in the rain would have to fumble a couple times uh, to give Missouri short fields. They'd have to win the special teams battle. I mean, that's it's what makes the path to, uh, I would say, really anyone Tennessee's played this year uh, outside of obviously the three by games, essentially. I see Missouri's path to winning being just the least. And I think that's why South Carolina next week will be interesting just because you're going on the road and it should be a, a rowdy crowd. But all three of these teams Tennessee has left on the schedule, very bad offensively, and especially to be bad on the offensive line, which most of them are. Uh, it's just hard for me to see them scoring enough points to, to truly make the game competitive without Tennessee just handing their, their opponents, in this case Missouri, uh, free points. Do you think Tennessee falling to five – changes how you you view their chances of making the playoff uh at when it's all said and done do you think five shifts things do you think tennessee fans should be more concerned about going from one to five versus one to four um being usurped by tcu which i think was the weirdest one um just based on what the committee had shown with how they felt about tcu the week prior uh it's a big 180 uh based on especially barely surviving against texas tech after losing their quarterback like don't really understand that one. Um, but when you look at that, does this still look like a path where Tennessee fans should feel good about making the playoffs still? Yes. I don't think, I certainly don't think the committee having Tennessee at five will ma- matters. I mean, these rankings are just arbitrary. I, I mean, the, the crisis for how they determine them changes every week. Mm-hmm. It, it does not matter what they're saying. It didn't matter what they said the first week when Tennessee was number one. It's cool. Fans should have celebrated it after where the program's been, but it didn't matter. It doesn't matter this week. I mean, it's as simple as undefeated TCU is going to get in over Tennessee. A one-loss TCU would not get in over Tennessee. And that was always the case no matter where TCU is ranked. The one thing where I think you may have a point, and what to me would just be something to watch, is I feel like TCU, like I said, they're undefeated, they'll get in. I feel like a one-loss Pac-12 champion, really no matter who that is, will get in uh, over Tennessee, especially in Oregon or USC. UCLA may make it a little trickier. When you look at what's going on in the Big Ten, and that's where you just said it when you talked about the puzzling part of the committee having Alabama above TCU and then a week later not having Tennessee above TCU. To me, that just shows, uh, I don't know if bias would be the right word, or just the fact that these top teams get the benefit of the doubt. If you've been to the college football playoff, Clemson, Alabama, I think Georgia's starting to get in there, Ohio State, I think you are a little bit better chance of getting the benefit of the doubt. And while I think Ohio State's resume is probably worse than Michigan's, or the very, will be worse than Michigan's once Michigan, assuming Michigan beats Illinois, and Ohio State would lo- would potentially lose the game at home in that case, I still think uh, the committee would be more willing to give the benefit of the doubt to Ohio State and potentially bump them over Tennessee than I, I feel about Michigan. So that's kind of the one thing that I, I took from that. Um, but overall, I didn't think there was a whole lot to glean from from what the committee had this week. I think it'll We'll see it play it out out on the field over the next four weeks. I like it. Um, Four basketball players signed. Uh, Cameron Carr was a big late addition uh, for this group. Uh, Ryan, who are you most excited about of the four signees for the next class? I think what I'm most excited, Freddie Dillion is probably going to be my answer to who I'm most excited about. I thought the Rick Barnes, you know, his comments that he put out about all all the signees when he said this guy's a Tennessee guard. Like, I just thought that really stood stood out to me because of how accurate it is. Like that's he, when you watch him play, when you see his tape, when you hear about from people who have watched him play much more than I have, it's physicality can score in a lot of different ways. Good defender. And it's like, yeah, this just sounds like a Rick Barnes guy. And I think uh, the fact that he's what, I think he's somewhere ranked in the thirties recruiting wise. He's not a five-star. He's not going to have the hype that a lot of players have had coming into the Tennessee system. But I think he's a guy that's good enough to make an impact right away. And I think he's a guy that's going to be there for two or three years. And to me, that's a really exciting combination of someone that can help right away. But there's not a whole lot of pressure on him being a, a, a stud in his one year in Knoxville, like we've seen with a, a bunch of these guys. And especially when you look at just the overall, obviously we know rosters can change and Tennessee could be really good again next year. Uh, but they're going to lose a lot of guys off this team. And next year is going to be a little bit of a reset. And I feel like having a guy like Guy be a one and done uh, guy isn't, the most beneficial in a situation like that. So I think it makes a lot of sense how Tennessee's recruited. And that's what I'd say is, to me is the most exciting part about this class is I think all four guys 
uh, really fit into what they do, make a, guys that made a lot of sense to take, and guys that I think uh, really have a, a good chance to develop into multi-year uh, solid players for Tennessee. I like it. Uh, Ryan, we'll end on this. You've seen a lot of Tennessee baseball uh, as of late. Uh, Griffin, big solo bomb over the center field wall. Who has impressed you the most uh, right now for the, the Vols? Griffin Merritt's up there. I mean, he was pretty quiet uh, the first week or two uh, of fall. And it, to me, he's been the best outfielder since. And I think the outfield situation as a whole has just been really, really exciting. Uh, both Dylan Dryling and Alex Stanwich had a homer yesterday. Reese Chapman, the three freshmen. There's been a lot of competition there. And then I'll go back to on the mound. Uh, again, it's a lot of good left-handed handed arms that are going to be vying for bullpen spots. But Wyatt Evans uh, just continues to me to look really, really good and to be a guy that could take a really big jump in his second year in the program. Do you see some Jordan Beck stuff? Do you think this outfield, like, do you think the homers are going to be close? Do you think the Vols lead the SEC in homers next year? Lizzie Nelson Stadium will help. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think they'll be up there. Whether they'll lead it or not, I'm not sure. I think I see a lot of Jordan Beck and Alex Stanwich. I mean, it's, mm. there's a lot of swing and missing, but his swing looks really good, and when he makes contact with the ball, it usually goes a long way. So uh, I think there's going to be a chance there. There's going to be, I think, like last year, nearly one through nine in the lineup. You're going to have guys that can hit home runs. Uh, I would just be skeptical that you have as many guys that can hit 13, 14, 15 home runs. Uh, but heck, you got to do have Blake Burke who, who might be able to make up for the last guys that hit, hit 13, 14 home runs when he hits 25 this year. 25, I'm thinking 50. I want 50 from Blake Burke this year. Um, Ryan Chipper, what can the good folks check out from you over at Rocky Top Insider this week? Yeah, plenty of stuff uh, getting you guys ready for Missouri. We'll have live coverage uh, on Saturday and a lot, a lot of stuff post game. And then we'll be headed over to Nashville Sunday morning, Tennessee, uh, getting ready to play the Buffs in, in their second game of the year basketball. And uh, we'll have plenty of uh, coverage from Rick Barnes. Uh, availability this afternoon in Tennessee's practice as they get ready for game number two on the season. There you go. Uh, Drew Pembertor, the return torque is off to a great start. Excited to see how he looks uh, replacing. Um, I don't know who, who would he replace in the lineup next year, but I, either way, I'm excited for Drew Pember to make his Knoxville return after going out for you and see Asheville. You love to see it. You love to see it. Uh, Ryan Chempert, thank you as always. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds great. All right, hello. You heard it. Preds Power Hour. We're back. And it is a rainy Preds Power Hour for the first time in forever. I, I swear it has not rained in three and a half years here in East Tennessee. Uh, here with me, uh, fellow East Tennessean, A to C Sports, Charlie Burris. Charlie, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good. It is depressing, though. I mean, it is just coming down. What's it? This It's the hurricane from Florida. Uh, oh, is that, what it, is that what it is? Yeah, I, I believe so. Needed to go away by tomorrow at noon so that the Tennessee offense can work at the height of its ability. That's all I know. I don't think it's going away based on what I looked at on the weather report. I think it's going to be pretty, pretty sloppy for tomorrow. Ugh. Yeah. Um, also here, Brian Bastinet of Nashville over there in central Tennessee. Brian, is it rainy? Is it uh, also is doom and gloomy on your end of the state? It is. It is. It is raining, and then tomorrow it's going to drop down to like forty, and yeah, wise, which I'm very happy about because that's what this is fall. Like it should be fall weather at this point. But uh, we're in agreement. Yeah the uh, the weather right now though is a pretty accurate. Um, Pretty accurate representation of of how this hockey season seems to be going right now. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, there's um there's a lot here. Uh, we've gotten a lot of fire hinds uh, from Charlie this week. Uh, Charlie is not happy, so we'll have some some takes. But it looks like the worst case scenario is playing out for the Preds right now. Um, as Cleese the dog agrees, throwing her bone around uh, here on the podcast. Um. What happened over the last week, Brian? Um, obviously, big comeback to beat Vancouver. Uh, but then, ever since the Vancouver game, where we were pro- we were in agreement that that was winnable um, based on what we've seen from Vancouver this year. But what we've seen the last two games against Seattle um, and Colorado was just uh, it's not great. And this is looking more and more like this team's not even a sneak in playoff team type of team. This is a, 
oh that they things are worse than ever kind of like uh where things are on twitter.com where we're <sighs> we're on the we're on the titanic and the the band's playing and uh um, Billy Zane's running around with a gun. That's uh, kind of where uh, the Nashville Preds season is at the moment. It's on. It's on life support. Do you do you agree with that assessment, Brian? Yeah, I think the best thing. I like your analogy about the Titanic. I think I read a tweet earlier today that said that it's not like the band's playing and the ship's going down. It's that all the passengers are grabbing pieces of the iceberg and chucking them at the captain. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's going to be it'll be sad if it happens, but at least it's entertaining, um, mm. you know. But, yeah, I think with, with this season, I mean, I mean, we had talked about last week how, you know, the, the win over Calgary was a surprise. And that's that's good. You know, they that's a team that is actually, you know, a better team in the standings, I think, than than Nashville is. But I think only one place, like by one point or something like that. Um, and I'd said, you know, if they could get if they could get another point, you know, if they could get five points out of 10 in this road trip, that'd be great. Um, they did not, um, but they just had that win that took with the, the Vancouver game. They went down three to nothing, which sounds familiar. If you remember the rest of the games that happened last week or this week um, before, you know, scoring one in the second and then getting it to overtime and winning in a shootout. Um, but it's just Vancouver, you know, this is a team that's real bad. Um, they have, a history already this season of blowing multiple gold leads late um and so you know i don't think they necessarily should have had to struggle so much with vancouver like they did but it was encouraging at the very least to see them not give up going down three nothing um but after that they you know all of the character if you want to call it that that they showed in being able to to come back from a multi-goal lead completely disappeared um, against Seattle, who is very good. I think a legitimately very good uh, hockey team this season. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you've got <laughs> you've got the Colorado Avalanche. So, you know, it's 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 not it's not great like they, I don't know. I mean, Seattle, they went down for nothing uh, for nothing in the first period. UC Saros got pulled. Um, which is, you know, we'll talk about that more later, but then, you know, again, last night they actually scored, <laughs> they actually scored first, you know, surprisingly, but then after that, just, just nothing. I mean, it's just five straight goals by, by the Colorado avalanche and yeah, it just looked like a team that's overwhelmed. I don't think it's hard to sit there and pinpoint one reason why, but I, this is a whole team issue and it's, it's not looking great. Charlie, do you agree with that sentiment at this point? I definitely do. I, I think the thing that's been so striking is that they have looked so impotent in these losses. Like that's been the thing. If they're if they're being really really competitive, losing in shootouts by one goal, okay. But you're playing <laughs> a couple of the of the you know top half teams and just getting your head beat in. Like that's not nope. That's not going to do it. Like I I can understand being competitive in those games and losing and I can rationalize that. But if you're just gonna, you know, four to zero to a team that was a joke a couple of years ago, or I got whenever the Kraken started, mm -hmm. you know, what did the, what did they do? How did they get there? What are they doing? Huh? Because the Predators have been around a heck of a lot longer than they have. So excuse me, you know, David Poyle, um, <laughs> Can we can we wake up from this slumber? What are we doing? Because it's it, it's definitely the way that they're losing, where it's just this like not not even competitive. I mean, they, they got nothing for in these games. That's the thing that's been grinding on me the most, I think. And and I mean, I can tell you that my overall take on all this comes from a history of being beaten down by sports from the University of Tennessee and the Titans and all <laughs> of these. And and I would I would put it this way. And I think you you guys know this too. Like our history has has let us learn what a terrible coach and organization looks like. <laughs> I've seen it before. I have seen it before. And I will say the signs, the the neon signs are starting to come on around this Predators team. And I'm, it, you know, it sucks, but. Uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to say a whole lot else other than that right now. I mean, what, what are you going to do? So that, yeah, that's my uh, kind take on all of that. I would say. 
Yeah, I mean, because again, like it's just you're you're right about you know they're talking about looking impotent. I mean, this is it's kind of a good that's a very good metaphor for it, just for the fact that if you look at some of the numbers, again, 14 games, you're we're slowly getting to the point where the sample size can be representative of a team, you know, but we're still also in that area where you know this is like this is like Oregon losing that their opener this season you know you don't you can't really judge based on one two games and no we can oregon got embarrassed by the dogs tennessee did not let's be perfectly clear here we can't completely judge the (laughs) non-playoff ready oregon ducks their season and they should be judged solely on that one solely on the (laughs) yes i probably should have picked another metaphor there. you uh, should there are so many other college football teams not the one that we're up against kansas up, yeah. kansas state and texas yeah. you know the, kansas state and tulane the tulane yeah. loss that looks amazing now hey like uh, they can't be judged on a home loss to tulane tulane's out here angling for game day biggest game of the of their uh last 30 years against ucf on saturday all right i'm done continue brian yeah no problem um speaking of ucf though uh mm. I have a joke. My sister went to UCF down in Orlando and we always joked because I went to the last two years of high school down there. UCF stands for you can't finish and, <laughs> and you can't finish is actually a very good uh, descriptor for the Nashville Predators. Um, they, 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 they're doing all right. I mean, they're, they're trying to generate chances. They're trying to generate quality, but they can't, they can't finish to save their lives. I mean, so if you look at so far this season, um, they have, the um <laughs> they have not done very well as far they've only scored 37 goals at all strengths and they've given up 49 um and it's where does that rank national or in the in the league right now um as far as most points yeah where 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 does that sit let me take a look here i believe it's already on spot no no you're all good i should be i should have known that already anyways um let's take a look league goals allowed Okay, so they rank one, two, three, four, s- the seventh worst team with mm. uh, 50 goals. I guess that they're counting, I guess the NHL is counting the uh, shootout goal maybe or something. I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it's not good. And if you look at the teams that are worse than them who have given up more goals, there's San Jose, which Nashville beat twice. Um, there is Los LA, which they lost to. Edmonton, they lost to. Columbus, they lost to. Vancouver, they beat. And then Anaheim. So it's it's not looking <laughs> it's not looking great at all i mean this this is a team that you know as far as goals scored i think they are what eighth worst in the team teams below them calgary they've beaten winnipeg arizona columbus they lost to chicago philadelphia they've lost to and st louis who they beat so i mean this this is a team that has only really beaten bad teams um it's it's not a good look i mean if you look at the rank as far as like the league standings uh the teams that they've beat are vancouver who is 27th san jose twice who are 30th in the league and st louis who are 30 uh, 31st so i mean they can't they've only beaten up on teams that are worse than them they you know there's not been very much of a oh they've played up to another opponent and they've won i mean they just they can't do it it's 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 not a great look for the nashville predators right now and they're not they're struggling to score i mean they've only had four games where they've scored four or more goals and they only won two they only won two of those um on the other hand they've only had four games where they haven't given up three or more goals um and those were all games that they actually won so what do you do you know it's it's the offense isn't working defense isn't working the goaltending is looking very suspect right now it's it's you know there's been lineup changes there's been guys put in there's been guys taken out and it doesn't seem to make a difference so far and so you know i've watched this team i've covered this team for for three and a half years now and at some point like i know this roster isn't this bad i don't think these players are as bad as they look yes they had there's regression from last year because everybody shot out of their minds and the you know the team shooting percentage was just ridiculous but you know, it has to come back down to earth, but you don't expect this from this team, especially when, like we said, all off season that on paper, they improved. So you just, you just don't expect this type of, of thing. I think, you know, the fact that the, the delineation of the teams they've beaten and the teams they haven't already is so clear that, you know, is this going to, I, it's, it's starting more and more to feel like this is the team that we're seeing and this will continue, will continue to be the team until there are major changes that happen. The goaltending is the thing that probably 
sets me off the most to this being a lost cause overall is because I, you know, we said before the season started, like the thing that could carry the Predators into actually doing something this season would be if UC has a, you know, just a, not, not a miracle year, but like the top end of his ability and he plays that way consistently. That's not happening. Lincoln and you put it in the notes on the show here, Lincoln and in some categories is better than UC right now. Well, that's not going to do at <laughs> yeah. all. Uh, when the backup is playing better than the starter, it feels it, it, it just feels like something where we were expecting progression in all these different areas. And not only did progression not happen, some of them got worse. <laughs> and yeah. that just I mean, that's just not a formula for winning point mm-hmm. blank, period. And, you know, it's, I wish they do something about it. Hello, somebody. That's all mm-hmm. that my entire take is. Are we going to sleepwalk through this or is something going to be done? And I don't even mean fire Hines. I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't mind if they did that. But somebody needs to get their butt kicked. Like, there's, there's just, something's got to happen. And I, I don't know what that should be. But let's do it. Whatever, <laughs> whatever it needs to be because well, it ain't working. And, that, and that's an interesting point because, again, you know, you look at UC Soros and he prior to last last season, his whole reputation was that it had taken it takes him a while to get started. He's a slow starter, um, you know, and I, I pulled some numbers on that, looking at it to see, you know, how how bad that that was. Uh, I think last year was actually he think it only took him about seven games before he started overperforming and doing extremely well. The year before, though, it took 15 games. Um and you saw that I think in 2018, 2019 too, is that it just took him a little bit, of, a little bit of time, but then he eventually, you know, rounds back into form. But and I don't, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it right now. I mean, if you look at you know expected goals and actual goals, you see, uh, you know, has faced about about 31.8 expected goals from shot quality and had given up 32.6. So he's he's right along with uh with you know expectations and Lankinen's about the same. He they've given up, uh, he's faced about almost 14. And he's only given up about 11. And so like, that's good. But if none of these, you know, I don't think it's enough, a bigger, big delineation between the two guys to say that like one so far has been too much better, but I'm going to, I'm going to give a hot take right now about it. I think it's better for this team right now in the future. If UC Saros and Lincoln and continue to struggle, because I think that the reason why Nashville has been in this purgatory has been, this kind of middling team that you know Charlie has talked about several times is because very strong goaltending has made them look like a better team than they are. Hmm. I don't think I think that you know much like in the playoffs where goaltending can can win you a cup. I think goaltending is what usually makes or breaks like gets a, a coach fired um, more than anything, and that's not necessarily the best way to do it. But it's it's you know you live and die by your goaltending, and Nashville for the last seven, eight years has had excellent goaltending. Um, and that's bailed them out of a lot of things without, you know, UC Saros last year when he's been his best season, Nashville's not a playoff team. Um, and they barely were a playoff team. If you want to count, you know, that series against Colorado. So I'm going to say like, it's not great for Saros. Obviously. Uh, I do think he will get better. I don't expect him to not be good all season, but you know what? I think that it will force this team, the ownership, the GM to look at this and say, you know, if they pull start pulling off wins and it's just because they're they're stealing games because of Soros, they're gonna get away with it again. Um, you know, you can everything else is seemed pretty clear how the skaters do, you know, how defensemen do, but if if your goaltending's not good and you can't win despite that, which is what we've seen all week, is you know, they can't keep up with teams. If it, if their defense isn't gonna play well, their offense isn't gonna keep up either. So you know what? If if you if Predators fans really do want this team to be blown up and started over or a rebuild to start. You almost have to hope for UC stars to continue to struggle a little bit. That's a good point. But do you want the problem with this? And I think about this in a lot of different sports uh, leagues where, I mean, we've gone through that in Atlanta uh, multiple times where you just, <laughs> there's something about who's running things when you're, when fans clamor for a rebuild, you have to think about who is leading the rebuild. So, you talk about the bottom falling out with the goaltending, Brian, and that the goaltending and elite goaltending was kind of um, was shielding a lot of the issues of 
where, where, where the Preds were previously. The problem is that this goes back to the Poyle question. If you want to do a full teardown right now, is that the guy you want to have it bottom out and rebuild the Preds? Like, is that who you want to be responsible for the next era of Nashville hockey? Is that the guy you want to entrust with building this thing back up from the ground up. So if you want the bottom to fall out, I get it. But like when fans do that, I'm like, well, this GM's right. Like when the Lakers, like I right, let's just trade AD and everybody else. Like you want Rob Palenka in charge of this rebuild. You want Poyle in charge of this rebuild. Are you sure? Are you, cause he's not going anywhere. So is that really something you want? Be careful what you wish for. Um, and is that something Poyle wants at uh, 70? Is that something he's interested in, a full teardown at this point? Um, I'm certain that Nashville is very... The front office is not happy about how this season is going. And I don't think they have any interest in a rebuild. But, you know, I just... I think if I'm a Nashville fan, I am uneasy about the fact... Uh, or about the possibility of Poyle executing a rebuild, a, a full teardown slash rebuild um, in his last few years running this team. Wouldn't wouldn't you say that's fair? Uh, it is. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's perfectly valid. I think one, it may not be something to worry about too much because it's been clear for the last few seasons that Poyle's not interested in doing it anyways. Um, but he might not have a choice if this team's just bad. <laughs> I think if it gets to the point where uh, the, the team or the front office starts thinking rebuild, that it's not going to involve Poyle anyways. Hmm. Um, like I said, you know, Haslam right now is, a, I think he's he's transferred into the ownership group, and then I think it's going to be next season or the season after that he'll be eventually a majority owner. You know, I can't imagine that he's sitting there in whatever mansion he's in watching these games and going, yeah, no, we can stay the course with this right now. I mean, this is a big investment, you know. Uh, he's not going to want to go forward with that, but, you know, David Poyle not wanting to tear this team down and rebuild is the reason is why the Predators are where they are right now. Um, again, this last offseason, I can't really blame him too much for his moves in the offseason. I, I thought they were fine. You know, Nita Ryder's done a really great job. Ryan McDonough. Uh, but, you know, he actually got a player back for Luke Cunning, which is hilarious still to me. Uh, but it's just not it's not enough and i think the you know it's a combination of the players are underperforming the roster as it's to, as it is together is not working and the team the strategy the offense the defensive strategies are just not working you know and it, it's going to be you know if this if worse comes to worse and a rebuild or something like that has to happen it is not going to i don't think it's going to happen with john Hines and david poyle in in prominent parts of this team i think it's going to be part of a clean house type of initiative and i'm gonna be honest i wouldn't have said i wouldn't have said you know maybe even a week ago that heinz being fired you know before before christmas was really a realistic option but it's starting to look that way i yeah i agree with chase though in concept there i mean poil is not the guy that i want doing this but i also look and i go he's done so much you can't fire him you gotta let him you gotta let him do the philip fulmer he has to retire uh, Mm -hmm. and and leave on his own i and i think a huge chunk of this why it hasn't already kind of been torn down is because he knows this is the end of his career uh and he wanted desperately to have that cup and he's always going to be known as the guy that the, the winningest GM of all time and didn't have a cup, you know, and I understand that completely, obviously very understandable that you wouldn't want to be that guy that's forever saddled with that title and right. stuff like that. But that's the, the predators are far bigger than David Boyle. This is not, he doesn't own this franchise. And frankly, a lot of people have weird legacies. You know, you just got to do with what the best that you can and go from there. And, it just, I think ultimately it's going to end up just petering out on him here. Um, and I, yeah, he can't be the guy that if it, if it does get torn down, he can't be the guy that does it. I, I don't think and it can't be his kid and it can't be, you know, they, they have to go somewhere else because what, what you find. And obviously, again, this is something that's very colored in by my time as a Tennessee fan. I mean, you just saw every, everything at Tennessee became extremely incestuous 
where they were just like trying, we need a Tennessee guy to do this. And Philip Fulmer becomes the AD and they do it. And then they didn't become successful until they went and they actually got serious and they hired a guy that, that knew what he was doing. And that guy wasn't a Tennessee alum, you know, mm-hmm. and here you just got to do what's right by this franchise. I, I think if things continue on the road that they're going and there's not some miracle flip, um, I think you got to do what's right by the franchise and not what's right by David Poyle ultimately, as much as that might hurt and they don't want to do that. Understandably. So that's just not what you, you can't, you can't worry about that. I, I go back to that Philip Fulmer example. Honestly, I think the university of Tennessee wanted to treat him with kid gloves and be like, look, Phil, you want us a national championship. And yeah, but ultimately they had to go like, get out of here, Phil. And they had to kick him to the curb. They had to go, go away. We don't need you anymore. <laughs> and, and ultimately, you know, now they're, they're eight and one and, in a shot for a playoff. Like it's just the, it's similar across all sports. You gotta, sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do. And that's, it, that's just what it feels like to me. Yeah. Heinz getting fired at Christmas and Poyle bringing in somebody else. That's not a fix. It's, it's gotta be a whole, a comprehensive change. I think if, if things continue on the road that they're going now. Yeah. Um, that's fair. Did I tell you all the, my dad and Philip Fulmer story before? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, We were walking out of TBA uh, after a game a couple years ago and Fulmer, this was when Fulmer was AD and Fulmer is walking out with us. And my dad, uh, who I love dearly, he just did not have a plan. And I'm, (laughs) it's, it's so funny because he, I just, he didn't have a plan. And he was like, when am I going to just see Fulmer out in the open like this? He's like a little, he looked at him like he's a Pokemon. Um, and he's like, gotta catch them all. Gotta, gotta make sure he under he knows me. And he, he like, he goes over to Phil and is just like, Hey, <laughs> and there's no follow. He just like shook his hand. It was just like, he stood there for a second and just moved on there. I was like, what was your plan there? My dad <laughs> didn't do anything. He just like That's went and said, picture. Hey, no, nothing. nothing. He just said, Hey, and just, and I was like, what was the point of that? what are you doing all right yeah you know some sometimes you're just not you're not like uh like tennessee football against georgia sometimes you're just not ready for that big moment you know it, it, it yeah what, what are you gonna say you, just, you weren't prepared you didn't i think my yeah. dad was gonna say something negative about tennessee football and just went the hey route i don't think he he, he just it, it, when you get in the moment you're like i can't do that it, that was it, always he yeah. he hosted a radio show in the same studio that i did radio uh-huh. in for a time and we used to see him and talk to him some he would come in and talk to us because i hosted a show with former player yeah that was his player um and it was so hard having discussion because tennessee sucked at the time you know it was so hard to just be like to dance around just be like yeah we suck right now don't you know you you have to you can't say that to phil fulmer yeah <laughs> i mean i guess you could have and i i doubt he probably would have he probably wouldn't have disagreed but um yeah, the he's he's an interesting guy. I've had a few encounters with him, and uh, I'm I'm happy that he's kind of faded into the without getting too specific. Well, <laughs> I'm glad that I I don't run into Zakai Ziegler anymore on campus because it was getting to the point where I think he's going to call campus security. Where I ran into him so many times that he definitely like we made eye contact multiple times and i did a weird wave in the car one day where i just put my hand up because we made eye contact when i was uh in front of tba and i was like "Ah, he's a guy like what we don't have anything to talk about like what am i supposed to do but i'm also (laughs) supposed to like pretend that i'm not running into you all the time like it was i I didn't know what to do with zakai so zakai ziegler for a long time listener i'm sorry i I don't know what to do i I don't know what to do when we see each other on campus because i know you don't want to talk i don't i don't want to interrupt your day but i also see you all the time well, um, yeah. I was gonna say to, uh, I, I have a for, uh, a Fulmer story, but it was just I saw him in the in the uh, UC and took a picture, and that's about it. But to bring it to wrap that in, yeah. The thing about with Fulmer when it was his time to go, because I was there in his last couple seasons, and and with with the similar similarities with with John Hines at least is that both are very committed to playing their brand of their sport, you know, football yeah. hockey. Uh, John Hines is committed to that, and you'll see that it's it worked pretty well and you know the players really like him that's just never been a question it was the same in new jersey it was this, you know it's the same here um but he's very committed to a way of thinking and, and what he's going to do and he's very committed to some of the choices he makes uh, new jersey they talked about how 
he seemed to have a very short leash leash for his young pretty talented players and we've seen that now uh with nashville as well with tolvin and tomasino and cody glass and guys like that meanwhile cole smith at 27 which is crazy to me it has had the longest leash of anybody and i can't believe that he's still playing uh you know it, it's certain things like that you know like the 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 penalty killing they're a pretty good penalty killing unit relative to how the rest of the team is but you know there was there's one guy jack Hahn, who's on twitter he's fantastic he's worked he used to work for the uh toronto maple leafs he's a he's a strategy coaching analytics type of guy and he's like i didn't know that any nhl teams use the use the penalty killing like structure that nashville's using anymore like i thought that was gone five six years ago uh, you know, it's it's one of those, it's just, you know, you watch them on the power play, and I've screamed about this, I scream about it every single game, but the players don't move. There's three hmm. guys on the perimeter, they pass it, because other teams will sit there and let them pass it between Forsberg and Yossi and Johansson, and then the two guys in front of the net, which is good, but they don't move. Nobody moves. So they just pass around the outside, take a bad shot, and hope that they can get a deflection or, or something like that, and it's, but it's not working, and they're awful. The power play is god-awful. Uh, and so, you know, it's just one of those that, you know, he said, Heinz does say some things that he look, you know, he, they look at, they try to improve on certain things, but it's just, it's, it's just more of the same, you know, and it worked last year, which credit to him because it did work, but it's not working right now. And you don't want to, you know, I personally like the guy, you know, on a personal level, uh, much more than, than La Violette, but it's just like, it's. This team, you've got dynamic players. You've got one of the best 10 hockey players in the entire world in Roman Yossi. You've got Philip Forsberg. You have Matt Duchesne, who are very, extremely talented. You know, you've got you've got Matthias Ekholm, who's doing extremely well this season. But it's they're not, this is not working. It's not playing to that to to the strengths it feels like anymore, unless you count, you know, leaning on your third line to be that team that sets the tone for everybody. But I mean, all it ends up doing is, yeah, you might win the battle in hits, but and their, your opponent might be a little sore while they're celebrating their win. So it's 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 kind of the same thing, the same feeling like you don't necessarily think it's going to be a great idea or like you have you have anything that would be good to replace them with. But you're getting to the point where what do you do? You know, um, well, and- this I think naturally leads us to your tantrum time, Brian, <laughs> it's time for your. Your Rodriguez tantrum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I put that in there as a little bit of a joke, but of course, of course, the guy that I, I yelled about for several weeks in the off season about Nashville going to get went and saw well signed like what a two million dollar deal with with Colorado. Mm-hmm. Again, I have no idea if Nashville pursued him or not, but of course, he scored a really great goal against the Predators. He's had a great season so far. It's just it's hard because it's like that's a guy you're spending two you know he's a two million dollar guy they're spending two million dollars over the next four years for Jeremy Lazan who's been awful uh, they have to pay six six point seven five million dollars for the next four years for Ryan McDonough who has been mediocre but they couldn't you know you can't go out and get they got these guys that are role players uh, Nita Ryder he's been you know I, he's the exception and he's you know proving me wrong as I'm saying this but. You know, you there was no reason why they should not have continued to pursue those type of players, especially if they're going to con- they're going to consistently play want to play veterans over younger players, uh, veterans that are bad over younger players. You know, then go get a veteran that's not bad. Uh, you know, it worked with Nita Ryder. It's not necessarily working. You know, for for McDonough, but like you just, it's hard because again, this is a guy I really like thought maybe he might be too expensive for Nashville he wasn't and you know it's one of those like hey Brian I know that you you liked me a whole lot as a player so here um and so you know it, it just sucks it's how I felt about Mark Stone a few years back who's still one of the best players in the NHL I think uh you know Valerie Nikushkin who's still with you know he's injured but still with Colorado I, I he got a whole lot of money Nashville probably couldn't have gotten him but another guy I was just like yeah I really like him would have been great didn't happen it's 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 rough. Like I just, you know, you want guys, your team needs to be kind of represented by your star players, by your Philip Forsberg, your Roman Yossi's right now, this team, their identity as, as John Hines says all the time is, is Colton Sissons, Tanner Janot, Yakov Trenin. And that's great. They're fun to watch. They're, they're, they're great guys. I love that line. It's just, that's not what a good team is. That's not their identity. Is that if they fire this guy, is there, and this is where I think 
Poyle comes into this and where I think he can't be the guy that does this. But is there a like Josh Heupel out there that can come in and give you like a a shot of amphetamines and like wake like you know give you that that supercharge that you need without flipping everything over? That's what I like. Uh, like I mean, the one that I look at because it's such an easy frankly lazy example at this point but like bednar like is is there that was his first am i am i wrong about this that was his first head coaching job in the nhl the dude won a cup in four years five years or however long it took him yeah i mean is that guy out there um so i don't know i I, i'm gonna be honest i don't know but the nhl really doesn't you don't see going out and going getting a Josh Heupel or going to getting an Urban Meyer from Utah. Like that's not this league. They are going to be, it took four days between Peter Laviolette getting fired and them hiring John Hines, not what two weeks after he had been fired by New Jersey. And if you look at Pred's Facebook, which my condolences, if you do, uh, everybody's screaming about Barry Trotz, which no, 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 no. no. I, I'm not going to sit there and say that it would be bad, but it's that's just kind of how the NHL is is, is triggered. People, it's just you go mm. and you get the same guys, you get somebody else. But I mean, like you said, like Bednar, he's yeah, he was his. You know, he he won, he was a coach for the in the AHL, won the Calder Cup, and then went up to went up to Colorado. Now, but you have to also remember they were historically bad in that 2016, 2017 season, 22 wins, 56 losses. I mean, 48 points. I mean, very bad. And they turned it around and, you know, they had first round exit to Nashville the next year and then lost in the second round, the next three before they won the cup. And so like they've continuously gotten better and it's been because this coach had knows one, they know how to build a team Two, They know how to build a team, build a strategy around the players that they have. And, you know, is there a guy out there that would do that? I think Jer- uh, Gallant, um, who's with uh, New York right now, I think, um, you know, he I couldn't believe that Vegas fired him, you know, a couple years back. I was I was very surprised by that. Uh, but he was a guy that I thought was a, a a play, a coach that could kind of provide that shot of amphetamine, as you said, you know, um, I'm really trying to think of guys that would be, you know, I've always I've always liked um, there's a coach over in Sweden that I've always liked, but apparently I've gotten some inside information that it, it wouldn't be a good idea for a couple of reasons. So, you know that, but that's like a, the thing that's like, it would never happen. You know um, I think the other option, which would be interesting and actually a little bit more feasible is, is Carl Taylor down in Milwaukee. Uh, Carl Taylor was a former assistant coach for the Dallas stars before going to Milwaukee. Milwaukee is I think fifth in the AHL right now they're leading the central division seven and three uh Askarov is four and three uh not great save percentage but they're they're leading the central and they're looking pretty good after a slow start uh and a lot of guys I mean Sean Smith my former co- co-worker here at, at on the forecheck is with A to Z now you know he's interviewed Carl Taylor several times and you know he could do it now granted we can't sit there and say he's good in the AHL so he's going to be a good coach at the NHL level you don't know but it's getting to the point where it's like we kind of know what these former these coaches who have been on two or three teams we know what they're capable of yeah and there's not a guy out there right now that is exciting to me as far as a potential hire that's not currently in a job i i just rather i would rather see the bleeding edge rather than i mean especially rather than trots just don't enough like you're gonna go back hire peter laviolette again like come on that's I, I would much rather just see some some fresh blood in here that's more on that you know in 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 touch with the younger generation of hockey maybe and a little more in that yeah but, but I will say this the bleeding edge I, if you can find it please let me know because <laughs> in the NHL that doesn't really I mean yeah. I, would, I would say there are a couple of teams I can think of off the top of my head that ha- are, have a more modern way of thinking that doesn't really fit the NHL mold I think the Carolina Hurricanes are one they've famously kind of been a team that's heavy on analytics um, their whole um, storm surge when they win games at home where they get you know go in the ma- middle of the ice and do their thing it makes old old hockey traditionalists really angry um, which is something that is always great. Um, Good. Um, and then you look at Seattle. Seattle built their team to, they said, you know, we're going to do this. This is brand new. We got the expansion draft. They went out and hired 
I mean, so many of the smartest people I've ever met in my life to run their analytics department. You know, they've got Alison Lucan, who again, I'm going to shout her out every chance I get. You know, she's sitting there on the broadcast, on the broadcast team in Seattle, bringing analytics types of stuff to it. And they have, you know, they gave themselves time to develop the team, to grow the team, do what they're going to do. And they've got a very strong team now. And it's built because they've, they're complementary pieces. They've built they've, they've, the structure and the, and the strategy the team is built around, you know, the players that they have. And they're good. You know, obviously the bar with Vegas going to the cup, you know, so quickly makes it seem like maybe Seattle's a little bit disappointing. But, you know. Different circumstances, though. Well, they changed a lot of stuff after Vegas did what they did. They were yeah. like, "All right, Kraken, sorry, They're, you're not going to be able to do what uh, what Vegas did to uh, have an no, immediate it, cup run." It wasn't necessarily the fact, because I mean, a lot of like the rules and the things that the expansion draft, like that, it didn't change really too much. Um, it was just the fact that a whole, I'd say, like nine or ten GMs just got their pants pulled down in front <laughs> of the entire world right. in this draft, and they all panicked and you know, they learned their lesson that they weren't going to do that again. Mm -hmm. um, but that, I mean, I don't think Seattle necessarily needed that because Seattle is, you know, you look at Vegas now and you look at some of the contracts they have and they're trying to figure out, you know, cap, you know, they have cap issues. Mm. Uh, you know, Seattle's not built like that. And they're doing it with guys that are, you know, a lot of guys that are role players and things like that. But you just, they're the exceptions. You know, mm. that is, you know, for a team like, Washington to go and hire Peter LaViolette, you know, yes, he has a, he has a, a long career of turning around bad teams and getting them to the playoffs in a two or three years. And then he turns into a pumpkin after year four or five, you know, uh, that's just, that's kind of the mindset of GMs everywhere is that they want to get a guy, you know, who has NHL experience and you get that to that point where it's like when you're applying for jobs, and, you know, you're looking for an entry level job and all the entry level jobs say you have to have 10 years of experience. It's that's how it feels like in the NHL is like, yeah, it's just if you want to be a coach in the NHL, you have better al already be a coach in the NHL. But how does that how does that happen? You yeah, know? it's it's pretty crazy how much of a <clears throat> old boys network is just so deeply ingrained. And you're seeing that it's. Ooh, I could. That might be a topic for another another show. But I could I could talk about how the NHL and and their problems with the with the old boys club and you know what we're seeing the fallout from. I mean, look up there and the, all the hearings up against Hockey Canada. Yeah, that's another time. I could talk. I could talk about that for another hour. So, <laughs> um. Well, let's uh, get towards what's ahead of for the Preds. So the West Coast road trip of death is uh is over. And now you've got uh, the Rangers, you've got the Wild, you've got the Islanders, and the Lightning uh, in the next four. So when we look at um, what's on the docket uh, the rest of November and into December, uh, Charlie, are you anticipating a flip when you look at who the Preds have matched up with over the next couple weeks? Or do you see this kind of schedule not being what the doctor ordered and this being a rough, rough <laughs> end of 2022 for the Preds? I mean, unless they just play a rotating schedule of <laughs> the blues and you know who are some of those other you know bottom dwelling teams right now otherwise no i mean i i think why would i i mean why would we think that there's going to be some some magical turnaround you're sticking it's the same same dudes with the same coach and the same mentality and everything i, I just uh, yeah it 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 feels like a situation where some, as I said, something has to change. I don't know what that is. Fire and Jordan Bennington coach. entering the fold. It's time to fire exactly. the coach, trade for Jordan Bennington, and just redux the St. Louis Blues from a couple of years ago. That's <laughs> what we can do. <laughs> Please Brian's do disgusted at this idea. Brian wants no part of any of this. <laughs> it just no. has to be. We we've reached a point where a head has to roll i think mm -hmm. for somebody you, you just like they're and and i know they're because it's just not the style that this franchise has been but that's that is the real situation and because this franchise is not that style i don't anticipate anything changing so no i have no real optimism for that I mean, it is their style but it's it's the players that get punished for that you look at kyle turris you look at ryan hartman yeah you look at those guys who Kyle Turris is a little bit different because he was disappointing after the trade, but it's just like the coaches and the, the GMs, like they handle these players and it's, you know, you see repercussions for bad play on the players 
some of them, but you don't see it anywhere else. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's not their style, but it may start need to be soon. Brian, what do you think as we wrap up here? Do you see things turning around? Do you have any hopes of optimism um, for this? Do you think Forsberg and Johansson kind of flips things um, at the end and we see those two really get this team back on track? Or do you think this is uh, the horses out the out the barn already? Yeah, I'll be real quick about this. But I think Philip Forsberg, I talked about, he he's the guy that analytics, eye test, whatever you want to look at, he's been the best player on the team by far. And even though he's the best player on the team, he's still the 50th best forward. If you look at goals above, above replacement, um, you know, he's not getting a lot of help. Ryan Johansson is kind of turned around his his career a little bit in the last season and it's continued on to this. It's great. It looks awesome to that. What do you do about the penalties? What do you do about the slumps that other players are in? What do you do about Roman Yossi kind of being lackluster this season? I, I don't, again, like, you know, next team's Rangers, Minnesota. Minnesota, they might be able to pull off because Minnesota is struggling a little bit themselves. Islanders, I expect them to get demolished. Uh, the Rangers in Tampa, probably. They might be able to pull it out against Arizona, but Arizona's second in the division right now. I mean, so you've got Detroit, uh, who's who's an up a much better. They've their their turnaround, their rebuild has happened very quickly, and which is really nice. And then Colorado and Columbus, who Columbus is the worst team in the league. They just lost Zach Wierenski for a long time, but they beat the crap out of Nashville. You know, so I, it's gonna be hard out of those next eight games to sit see to justify them you know ending that with like eight points even splitting those games i don't say see it, it happening say it brian fire john hines say it <laughs> i would prefer they do it after barry trotz get hired somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair not, enough. Not, again i wouldn't i'm not going to say that i don't like trotz as a coach or it's a completely awful idea it's just let's do something new but yeah, do you that, think that's what's actually going to happen? Doesn't it feel like Barry Trotz is the next coach of the Preds? From what we've heard, I think we said this, that he wants to be a coach and then eventually tra transfer into being a GM. So I don't, I don't and know. And he would eventually transfer to take over for Poyle. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, Doesn't that feel I'm, Nashville, though, to you? Doesn't that feel pretty Nashville? It feels NHL. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, it gets hard to say that when this team's got, what, three, three, uh, three coaches in its history. So... Real yeah. quick, though, I do want to ask, speaking of Forsberg, he's doing a great job. Hopefully, I'm hopefully he hasn't, you know, regretted his decision too much. But when you got eight and a half million dollars, that's that's fine. You can deal with it. But real quick, this is a trivia question. Since you guys are football guys, primarily, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an easy one. Philip Forsberg is like best friends with an, NHL, an NFL player right now. Do you know who that best friend is? And I'll give you a hint. He plays on a West Coast team. Do you know, Chase? Because I do know the answer to you this. You do know? All right, let me guess first then. Uh, West Coast team, NFL. A player that played at Iowa. Oh, Travis Kelsey? No, but close. George Kittle. Ish. No, George Kittle. George Excuse Kittle. me. George That's Kittle. Correct. That Travis Kelsey. Nice yeah, Charlie. I mean, I was thinking they're, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. I meant George Kittle, yeah. I, I follow I follow Phil on Instagram, and he's they're always like atting each other and stuff. And yeah, they're definitely boys. Okay. At yeah. each other. Yeah. Um. Brian, what can the good folks check out from you over at On the Forecheck this week? Uh, yeah, so we've got a lot of our new staff getting ready to, to come on board. So you get to see a bunch of new faces and names, which is great. I'm looking excited, uh, looking forward to it. Um, I believe next week you're probably going to see one or two uh, stories about how bad this team is and what to do next. Not just from me, but from from my colleagues. Um uh rachel who works with me fantastic writer she just published something uh today uh talking about trade options if you know it gets to the point where nashville becomes a seller at the deadline so that's there um you know i should be doing a little bit more still you know with with bally so hopefully that you know you'll see a lot more i'm not gonna, i'm going to continue to cover this team no matter how bad it is and you know so so continue reading this stuff i know that it's hard to sit there and follow your team when they're real bad but uh we'll I'll, I'll write some stuff that allow you to get more of that rage and harness it so uh because it's not fun to watch it's not a fun hockey team to watch right now who well hopefully that changes um who and hopefully the tennessee volunteers are not uh terrible to watch uh this weekend too um with mizzou coming to town senior day uh what can the good folks check out from you charlie over at a to z sports Halftime post game, A to Z Sports YouTube channel, myself, 
former Vols quarterback Jonathan Crompton. We do well, and actually this week he's going to be uh, he's out this week. But me, Lucas Panzico from one hundred four five, the zone is going to be helping out uh, on on halftime post game. But usually it's me and Jonathan Crompton. Go watch that and the Big Orange podcast. We had uh, Josh Pate of Two Four Seven Sports on this week, and that was dope. He's uh, awesome. Got us. A, a bunch of views so shout out to him he's helping the boys out um but yeah that's it a to z sports.com and let me plug, let me plug something for 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 chase the fact that you got to talk to to peter king i mean that's mm. that's 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 a guy that when i was a kid a kid mm. kid was reading his articles in sports illustrated and and it was a very good interview so please if you haven't listened to it or watched it already please go do that it's on youtube it's on you know it's in the podcast that's just really cool because it's one of those where it's like you look at him and you're just like, oh, that's that's Peter King. Like, holy crap. Like, there's a guy, you know, that'd be like if I got to talk to Vern Lundquist or something like that, you know, it'd just be like, oh, like, oh, wow. Like, you know, so make sure you guys check that out because, you know, Chase is a busy man. He's doing all this stuff. And, that, and that's a cool, it was a really cool interview. I appreciate that, man. And it was, he's a super, super nice dude. Very, very pro Peter King. Uh, could not have been nicer and more generous this time and all that good stuff. So uh, that was fun uh, getting Peter on and some other ones to look out for in the coming weeks. So keep your eyes peeled. Um, Brian, Charlie, thank you as always. And I will talk to y'all next week. See ya. See you guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.